Amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. And I'd like for you to open up your Bibles to Psalms 116. And we're going to look at a couple scriptures today. And uh, I've got a message entitled Four Cups. Four Cups. And uh, you'll find out what that's all about here in just a few moments. Psalms 116 and verse 13 says, I will take up the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. Now, when you think of the word cup, what does a cup do? Well, you fill it, but also with a cup, you can pour something out, right? And so I want you to keep that in mind as we look at these four cups found in the word of God. But the psalmist said, I will take up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. And then, of course, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20, this is Jesus, you know, at the Last Supper. And he says this, likewise, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which has been shed for you. So when we think about Communion Sunday and we think about the cup, we also think about his supper, the body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And as we partake in communion today, communion really is a celebration. It's a powerful and beautiful sacrament of the church. And it is a reminder to you and I of what he's done for us, of his covenant and of his faithfulness to us. I oftentimes, during a time of Holy Communion, I look at myself and I examine myself, not to criticize myself, but during Communion, I look at it as a time of recalibration. How many of you know what I mean by recalibration? You know, perhaps there's maybe something we're gotten off a little bit in, and the Lord just saying, I want you to get back here. I want you to recalibrate. Amen? Because I've got some great things for you. Amen? And he has some great things for you as well. Now, the Passover, how many of you know what the Passover is? The Passover basically is, a, is an observance of the flight and exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. They were in bondage for many, many years. And during the Passover, what it is, it's a remembrance of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us so that you and I might live. Now, about 3,500 years ago, the first Passover took place. And it was a celebration of the Jews' release from Egyptian bondage. I can remember back in 1980 or 81 when Brenda and I were pastoring a church in Minneapolis, Minnesota called Overcoming Faith Fellowship. Good name for a church, don't you think? Overcoming Faith Fellowship. And we had a man in the church that would visit occasionally, and he was part of a Jewish messianic church in St. Louis Park, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. And it was right around Easter time and Passover time, and he was wanting me to come to this Passover meal. I don't think Brenda came, but I went, and it was quite an experience. All of the things on the table representing and pointing to redemption and pointing to the cross of Christ. During the Passover celebration, also called the Cedar celebration, what it was, it was a commemorative meal. And they would have four cups there that represented four promises to them as a nation. 
But I also see that these four cups that pointed to them as a nation also point to us as his holy nation. We're a peculiar people. Amen. We've been brought out of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. But these four cups represent four specific promises. So I want us to take a look at the word promise and promises in general, first of all. Let's look over at Second Peter and notice with me in chapter 1 and in verse 4. And this is from the NIV version. In Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4, he says that through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. The first thing I want to say about these verse is the promises of God are very precious. Amen. Secondly, these precious promises enable us to escape the corruption that is in the world. But not only that, through the promises of God and through the new birth, you and I experience His divine nature. We experience the Zoe kind of life. How many of you know what the word Zoe means? Help me out a little bit. What does Zoe mean? Eternal life. It also means the God kind of life. Or we could say it this way, life as God has it. Oh, thank God if you'll get the eternal precious promises on the inside of you and you will apply them to your life, you will start experiencing the life of God in your everyday life. Think about it. The Zoe kind of life impacting your life. The Zoe kind of life impacting your mind, impacting your body, impacting your finances, impacting your relationships. Somebody say amen. amen. And so these are precious promises. Everyone say precious promises. Hallelujah. Now the word promise means an offer with a guarantee of results. An offer with a guarantee of results. We know for sure that God is faithful and that God keeps his promises. You know, he's not, not like man who might say something and then back away from his word. No, thank God, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it and shall he not do it? Has he not declared it and make it good? How many of you can testify today that God's precious promises are in the inside of you and you've seen him watch over his word to perform it on your behalf? Well, if you believe it, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. And so the promises of God, they are timeless and they are his intention for all people throughout all of history. He said things like this in Joshua 21. Just let me read it to you. It says this. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. Every one of his promises was fulfilled. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 and 18, from the message translation, I want to look at this one. I just love this. This is a, a paraphrase. And I like the, some of the verses that the message says. Let's read it together. Ready? Read. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock solid guarantee. Look at your neighbor and say rock solid guarantee. Now notice with me verse 18. Let's read it together. 
God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands. With what? Both hands. And never let go. That lines up with holding fast. Hallelujah. To the word of God. And so, I don't know how many promises are in the Word of God. I, you know, there, some have said there's 8,000, others have said there's 30,000. But just suffice it to say, there's thousands. Thousands of promises in the Word. Amen? So, for every problem then, there's a promise. There's a specific promise for what you're facing right now. How many of you are facing some things? It's good to face some things. Face them. Don't run from them. You know, if you, if you run from problems and you run from challenges, when you stop running, guess what? They're still there. So we need to face those pressures, face those challenges with the exceeding great and precious promises. Amen? I want to challenge you this morning, and this is just the first installment of a a small series we're going to do called Four Cups. But I want to challenge you. Number one, you need to know God's promises. You need to know God's promises. And the way that we become familiar with the promises of God is we open up the promise book. We read His Word regularly. We discover And we feed on Scripture. I encourage you to find a nugget every day out of the Word that may apply to your situation. Just find a nugget that addresses your specific situation and think on it and meditate it every day. And then as you find the Word of God, hold on to the Word of God. Grab hold of God's Word in your time of need. Chronicles said it like this. Lord, for the sake of your servant, and according to your will, you have done this great thing and have made known to me all of these... What kind of promises? They're not just promises. We're not just to approach the promises casually. They're great promises from a great God. And if you hold fast to great promises from a great God, you will see great things happen in your life. After all, we've declared that this year is the year of the what? It is the year of the greater. So I want to challenge you, number one, to know God's promises. Secondly, pray for an understanding of God's promises. You know, sometimes I go and read the Word of God, and you know what? It's just kind of a religious exercise. You ever done that? You know, you set a goal to read so many chapters a day, and you met your goal. Glory to God. But you didn't retain anything that you read. (laughs) You know, that's right. Pastor Nancy says, no revelation. And so I believe that the Spirit of the Lord would have us to pray for a spirit of wisdom and understanding. A full insight, an epinosis, as the Greek would say, an exact knowledge, a knowledge that is revealed to your spirit that comes from the Holy Spirit. Let's pray it right now. Say it with me, Lord Jesus. I pray that you give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge 
Give me understanding of the promises of God. You know, Mark 4 tells us this. What you don't understand, what you don't take heed to, can be taken away from you. Now, you know this, and I know this for, for, for a fact. Many of God's promises are conditional. They require faith. They require trust. But they have our part, and then they have God's part. Amen? See, I'm not able to do God's part. You're not able to do God's part. But we are able to do our part. And if we will do our part, God will always do His part. Amen? So pray for understanding of God's Word. And then thirdly, remember this, that God's promises are for your own good. His promises are about your future. How many of you know that He wants you to have a better life than you have right now? Have you ever wondered, Lord, it just seems like there's more. There seems like that there should be more. You know why you wonder that? Because there is more. With God there's always more. There's always more. His plans and His promises and His intentions are for you. Now here's what we're going to be working on this morning. Four things. Number one, God's intention for you and me is to be happy. He wants you to be happy. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Number two, he not only wants us to be happy, but He wants us to be stable. He wants our lives to be stable. Thirdly, He wants you to be fruitful. And then fourthly, He wants you to be blessed. To be blessed. So let's take a look at these four cups. And through these teachings and through this Word of God, we're going to find out that each cup represents one of these things. To be happy, to be stable, to be fruitful, and to be blessed. So as I sat there that specific night in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, way back many years ago, they had four cups. And each cup was presented like a toast, if you will. And I'm not advocating toasting or drinking this morning. But each cup represented a toast and represented a promise. I want you to look over at Exodus and notice with me in Exodus chapter 6. And we'll see something very interesting here. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 says, Therefore I say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Say it with me. He is the Lord. Number one, he said, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian. Number two, I will rescue you from what? I will rescue you from their bondage. Number three, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then notice verse seven. And in verse 7, he said, I will take you as my people, and I'll be your God. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now notice these four cups. The first cup that was presented at the cedar meal. God said, children of Israel, 
I'm going to bring you out. How many of you know that in Christ Jesus, you have been brought out? Thank God we've been brought out of darkness into the light. And so for them, that cup represented leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. For us, it represents leaving the kingdom of darkness and coming over into the kingdom of God. I want to tell you this morning, this, this cup represents your salvation. Your salvation. Salvation is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're saved, you ought to be one of the happiest people on earth. I mean, you may be going through some difficulties, but how many of you know these difficulties have an expiration date? Oh, hallelujah. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to be afraid of any evil because I know that my God is with me. I know that my God is for me. And I know that this is just temporary. Hallelujah. And so at the end of the day, you ought to be grateful all day long. I am saved. I'm born again. This is only my temporary residence. We're just passing through. We're saved. We're not on our way to hell. We're on our way to heaven. And then the second cup, he would raise up that cup. And he would say to the children of Israel, this cup not only represents your deliverance from the land, but it also represents your freedom from their bondage. Your freedom from their ta those taskmasters. How many of you know that back there, they treated the children of Israel like dirt. They beat them. They were slaves to them. Hallelujah. And in Christ Jesus, you've not only been brought out of darkness, but you brought into the kingdom of God. And not only that, but when you get born again, how many of you know there's still some issues you have in your life? We all have things we need to be freed from. And freedom, what this does from bondages, it brings stability into our lives. He says, I'm going to deliver you I'm going to rescue you. I believe this second cup represents glorious liberty and glorious freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. So whatever area in life that you might be stuck in, whatever your issues might be, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is here to set you free. To set you free. And when you begin to experience this kind of freedom, it'll stabilize your life. You see, the issues of life come to each and every one of us. But through our covenant with God, we can be free from them. We can be free. We can be totally and completely free. You know, I love what Jesus said in John 8. He says, and if the Son shall set you free... You're going to be what? Free. You are going to be free indeed. Romans said it like this, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us what? Free, free from the law of sin and death. I came into contact with this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus at the age of 24. And I can tell you today, 
that not only did it set me free from addiction and other things, but today it continually keeps me free. We serve a God that sets and keeps us free. Say it with me. I'm free in Jesus. Now we're exhorted by Paul, you know, over in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. He said this. He said, now stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And then he goes on to say, and be not entangled again with what? With the yoke of bondage. So it is my responsibility and your responsibility to stand fast in this freedom. See, the enemy would like to put you back where you were before you were saved. And if he can't put you back where you were before you were saved, he just wants to make you miserable as he possibly can. You know why? Because he is the most miserable one of all time. And so he wants to bind people. He wants to hold people down. But that third, second cup was raised up. He said, I will deliver you from each and every bondage. Amen? So stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has made you free. And then the third cup was held up. And he says, not only will I save you, not only will I deliver you from bondage, but I will redeem you. And I love what the word redeem means. The word redeem means restoration. Restoration. You know, I've discovered this. When I walk in my redemption, and when I walk in the reality of what Christ has done for me, it makes me fruitful. You see, salvation makes me happy. Hallelujah. Freedom makes me stable. But oh, redemption, glory to God, enables me to be fruitful. I believe this, that we serve a God who restores we serve a God that can bring us back. You know, many times in life, people are damaged by life. Right? But God, He has the ability to set you back to your original factory settings. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Somebody said, well, you know, Pastor Mark, that's just my personality. But your personality is not according to His factory settings. Well, I'm just the way I am because of my personality. Excuse me, friend. Your pastor's personality has been tainted by the curse. Your personality has been tainted by the struggles of life. But if you will come to this cup, hallelujah, and be restored, I will set you back to your original condition. Come on, somebody. Let's shout. Somebody shout restore. Look at Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8 in the message translation. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8 says, It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, <laughs> going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. Next verse. But when God, thank God, God, but when God, our King and loving Savior, stepped in, thank God He stepped in. He saved us from all that junk. It was all His doing, and we had nothing to do with it. 
He gave us a good bath. Anybody ever just needed a good bath? I'll guarantee after 10 hours touring in Pompeii, I needed a good bath. Every, it seemed like everybody in Europe smokes. Everybody smokes. Anyway. And we came out of it, what kind of people? Washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Notice with me in verse 6. Glory to God. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out new life so generously. Verse 7. God's gift. What has it done? It has restored our relationship with Him and given us back. Thank God He's given us back our lives. And there's more life to come. An eternity of life. Verse 8. Read it with me. Oh, hallelujah. You can count on this. I want you to put your foot down, take a firm stand on these matters so that those who have put their trust in God will concentrate on the essentials that are good for everyone. Woo, glory. Come on, let's just charge the atmosphere right now with restore. Restore, Lord. Restore, Lord. Restore. Hallelujah. Woo, glory. Hallelujah. Restored people can be a blessing. Those who know the... Those who walk in the reality of the redemption. Those who see themselves the way that I see them can be a greater blessing in the earth. Because they're not held down and held back by the weights and the insecurities of the past. But yea, they'll walk in newness of life. They'll walk in the blessing of God. And they shall go and be a blessing. Hallelujah. That's what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Amen. Amen. Say it with me. Thank you for making me fruitful. And so God's got a plan for us. So that we can make a difference in this world. His plan is for you to use your gifts, your talents, and your abilities to glorify Him. Notice with me in Ephesians 1, verse 11 and 12. It says, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us. He had designs for us, glorious living, And part of the overall purpose, He is working out in everything and everyone. Pray this with me. Lord God, make me fruitful. Thank you for doing it. And then the fourth cup that they would raise up for the children of Israel, He was saying, I am going to take you as my own people. I'm not only going to bring you out. I'm not only going to set you from bondage. But now I'm going to bless you with a homeland. I'm going to bring you from afar. I will take you to myself. And this speaks of God's fulfillment for my life. He blesses us so we can bless others. How many of you know that these promises are for the children of Israel, but they're also for us? You see, God says, I will take you to my own. Yes, he does that individually. But how many of you know the hand of the Lord is upon families? The hand of the Lord is upon local churches. The hand of the Lord is upon small groups. 
The hand of the Lord is upon a community of people. And I believe what the Spirit of the Lord is saying here. Not only will I bless you and take you as a person, but I will take you as a people. Come and be part of my family, the family of God. Aren't you glad you're part of a group? Aren't you glad you're not one of those lone rangers out there just trying to do life on your own? I believe this with all of my heart, that blessings come through relationship. And the blessings of God come through fellowship. That's why I want to encourage you, as your senior pastor, I want to encourage you to get connected somewhere in the church. Get connected to a prayer group. Get connected to a small group. Get connected to uh, things like Emerge and different things that are available in the church. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Folks, these four cups are on the table this morning. They're on the table today. And these four cups are offered to each and every one of us. They're timeless promises, and they're priceless, and they're for you, and they're for me. He'll bring you out. He'll free you. He'll redeem you. And He will take you as His own people. Let's just raise our hands and thank Him for it.